Well, family, this is our uh, second to last night in this lovely space. Uh, thank you all for being so faithful on this circuitous journey <laughs> that we've been on. Um, if you would like to be baptized, we are going to have our baptisms on uh, October 3rd, our first service. So please let me know if you'd like to be baptized. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church, um, you can sign up for our pilgrimage class that starts Tuesday night, October 5th in the new building. Uh, go to the website, look under connect, and click on uh, pilgrimage. We'd love to have you. It's our first class, I guess, in uh, going on close to two years. So it's, we're, we're really due and get looking forward to meeting some new folks. Well, Facebook has recently released a, a series of, of, of interesting ads on transcendence. And uh, there's usually a, a main character that uh, is in having some kind of a spiritual crisis, and they ask their Facebook community for, for guidance, and they get hundreds of posts, and out of that uh, communication, they, they come to a uh, uh, a sense of peace and a sense of greater connection to their community and, and to God. And as I watched one of those, I, I thought uh, that in many ways we're moving back towards the first century, uh, a time when there was this vast diversity of voices all having different perspectives of how you connected with God and, and others and found meaning in life. I mean, a Roman city would have dozens of gods and temples and houses and many, many different ways of understanding what that would look like. So what does the Bible teach? What would we say if we were a part of the Facebook ad? If somebody said, all right, there's all these different views out there, but what do you Christians believe about what it looks like to be in a meaningful relationship with God and in other people in, in the world. What, what would we say? What, what was the essence of Jesus' message? You know, was it love or forgiveness or hope or maybe even judgment? Um, well, all of those would be a part of it. But each gospel writer says that the essence of Jesus' message was the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 4, 43, I must preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so this fall, we're asking, what is the gospel of the kingdom? And we're following a chapter outline in a book called The Gospel of the Kingdom by George Eldon Ladd. And we began by two weeks ago, and we, we, we asked the question, well, what is the kingdom of God. And just to review, you remember that the Hebrew word Malkuth and the Greek word Basalia both have the idea of, to, of a rule or a reign. Uh, you remember we worship Jesus Christ and Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ is a title that basically means king, Jesus the anointed king, Jesus the anointed one. So that's a the, the heart of the gospel message is that Jesus is the saving king, that he preexisted with God the Father, that he became human, 
a descendant in the line of King David, that he died for our sins, was buried, rose again on the third day, was seen by over 500 witnesses, and then God installed Jesus as king at his right hand. Jesus sent the Spirit to be with his people as they live under his reign, and one day he will return to reign fully. So the kingdom of God is the reign or the rule of God begun in Jesus' first coming and completed in his second coming. And to repent, to believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God is to declare my allegiance to Christ as king. To realign my life, to rearrange my life, to reorder my life underneath his authority and rule. That's what it means to believe. And this reign isn't just mystical or spiritual, although it is that. It has real-world consequences. It affects what I do with my body, my vocation, my time, my money, my freedom, my creativity, my life in the world. Now, we also pointed out that the Bible's teaching on the kingdom of God is quite complex. Uh, and at times it, it seems like it contradicts itself. Sometimes the Bible says that the kingdom of God is here in a very real way. Sometimes the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not yet here. Now, this fall, we're going to spend most of our time talking about the kingdom being here in a way and what it looks like to be citizens of the kingdom right now. But tonight we're going to take one week and look at what the Bible says about the kingdom of God being future or coming tomorrow. So just as there are two advents of Christ, there are two different ways the kingdom of God comes to reign. Jesus comes to establish the kingdom of God at his birth in the first advent. That's why we can experience life in the kingdom now. But there's a second advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ, when he will come to reign in power and glory and restore the entire cosmos. We're going to focus on that part tonight. Now, the biblical writers divide all of history into two periods of time. And when we get into the new building, we'll have a screen, and that will help us a bit. Tonight, we'll just have to listen. But the two periods of time are this age and the age to come. This age and the age to come. Uh, Paul, in Ephesians 1.21, says that Christ is now far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And Jesus refers to these two periods of time in Mark 10, 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and mothers and brothers and sisters and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So in this age, we experience hostility to the gospel. In the age to come, we're freed from that opposition and we enjoy 
eternal life. And the two ages, this age and the age to come, are separated by the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, verse 3, the disciples understand this. They say, what shall be the sign of your coming at the close of the age? And Jesus talks about the second coming. So there's two ages, this age, the age to come. What divides this age from the age to come is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He comes at first and establishes a beachhead of the kingdom of God. He comes a second time and establishes fully the reign of God. Now, Scripture describes these two ages in very different ways. Galatians 1, verse 4, Paul says that Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil age. Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2, the citizens of this age are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were nature children of wrath. So this age is marked by a rebellion against the kingdom of God. And Satan is permitted to wield a powerful influence during this age. And kids, I know this is heavy. You're doing great. We're going to have a godly play start the 10th of October. And you've been so wonderfully patient. Thank you so much. You're not bothering anybody. This is heavy stuff. Keep going. This age is marked by a rebellion against the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, parable of the soils, Jesus is describing different responses to the gospel. And he, he says that the seed of the gospel will land on thorny soil that choke out its growth. And here's how he interprets it. As for what is sown among the thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of this age... And the delight in riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So you're seeing the nature of this age. It chokes out the word of God. It is, a, it is opposing the word of God. Uh, it's in rebellion to God's rule. And Paul, we'll talk about it in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in their case, the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel to the glory of Christ. So this age is in rebellion against God's rule, and Scripture goes so far to say that Satan actually is the God of this age, that he has extraordinary influence over this age. Now then Paul will talk about the great transition from this age to the age to come in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Speaking of the second coming, then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. So in one sense, the kingdom of God, the perfect reign of God over all of life, belongs to the age to come. 
The kingdom of God, eternal life, will come when Jesus returns. This age is in conflict with the age to come. In this age there is death. In the kingdom of God there is eternal life. For the present, Satan is viewed as the God of this age. In the age to come, God's kingdom will overcome Satan completely. Now, there are many New Testament texts that talk about the kingdom of God breaking into the present. But that's not what we want to talk about tonight. I just want to draw a couple of conclusions from this teaching that the kingdom of God is tomorrow that this age is different than the age to come. First, we will never fully experience the blessings of the kingdom of God in this age. Fully experience. We can experience many of them, and that's what we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about. That's why we pray for the sick and, and believe in the Spirit and all these good things. There is a, there's a theological word for this, um, Matt, could I have a little more? My voice is getting a little... Um, called an overrealized eschatology. And the word eschatology means, uh, it's referring to the eschaton, or the, the end of the age, the future, how the future relates to the present. Eschatology is the biblical doctrine of what the Bible says about how the future relates to the present. And overrealized eschatology means you've overemphasized the verses on the kingdom being here and underemphasized the verses on the kingdom being tomorrow. And the church falls into an overrealized eschatology pretty frequently. Let me just give two examples. Uh, many years from now, ago now, a lovely 14-year-old girl was uh, dying of a, a painful cancer at Children's Hospital and it got down to about her last night and as the people of God are, often do, I guess people in general do this, the hospital was just filled with people who loved uh, Chrissy and uh, were praying for her and hoping for a miracle, but it became very clear that she's going to die that night. And a man grabbed me and he somewhat forcefully took me aside and he said, this is wrong. God's word promises that Christ heals and if we had faith and commanded that demon to leave and claimed this healing, she would walk out of here tonight. Well, I appreciate that brother's faith, and he's got a partial truth because the Scripture does say that there's healing in the blood of Christ. But the Scripture also says that we don't fully experience all the blessings of the kingdom in this age. We live in this tension, and so everyone we pray for is not healed. We can't command all the blessings of the kingdom in this age. Another example Christians often get in trouble with with an overrealized eschatology is in the realm of politics and culture. And again, everything in the Christian life is a balance, right? It's holding things in tension. We are supposed to go into the world and be salt and light. We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to take positions of leadership and influence in, in all the realms of culture, media, politics, of, of finance, education, entertainment, medicine. We're supposed to do that. That's what it means to be salt and light. 
But sometimes Christians take it too far and they, they think, you know, if we just had God's person at the head of every realm of culture and somehow they could kind of impose God's value system and pass some laws, then the kingdom of God would come in and revival would break out. And again, there's a partial truth there. We are supposed to be like Daniel and move into these spheres of of influence and, and the kingdom will have an influence when we do that and revival just might break out but this idea that somehow we can bring in the kingdom of God if we get our people in place is an overrealized eschatology it doesn't take seriously Satan it doesn't take seriously the doctrine of sin in the fall detention it's a very big don't hear me say so let's all stay in a ghetto ghetto and just you know play I'll fly away on our CD <laughs> deck. We need to be out there. But we've gone too far if we think we can bring in the kingdom of God that way. Well, second, the kingdom of God will never be fully realized apart from the coming of Christ. We cannot fully build the kingdom of God. Only Christ can do that. We cannot overcome the powers of Satan and evil. Only Christ can do that. And that's why Jesus is constantly saying, watch, be awake, and await the coming of the Messiah. <laughs> because that's who will build and establish the kingdom of God. Third, the good news of the gospel includes forgiveness of my sin, but includes much more than that. Now, it's great to think of the gospel as me being saved from my sins, but that is just one of many benefits of becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. If you just focus on, here's the gospel, you're a sinner, God died to save you, repent and believe you go to heaven, that's all true, it's all in the Bible, but the gospel's bigger than that. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis, you realize what's going on in the gospel is that the king is restoring the entire cosmos back to himself through the Son. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. When Jesus returns, all things are subjected to him. Colossians 1, 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So the good news of the gospel is not, hey, this place is terrible and so are you. Believe in Jesus and you can get out of here before it all goes down. The good news of the gospel is that the God who created the cosmos is even now renewing the cosmos, inviting us to join him in that work, knowing that one day all things will be restored and made right. And so that wonderful phrase from Dr. King, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice, it comes from a biblical eschatology. That is true. That is where history is going. Which leads to our last conclusion. Even though the kingdom of God will not fully come until tomorrow, Christ invites us to seek the advancement of the kingdom on earth today. And here's the tension. What does Jesus teach us to pray? Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't just wait. And so that's why we share the gospel and serve on boards and pass laws and 
paint and write poetry and get MBAs and create just workplaces and adopt children and start Bible studies and homes for the elderly and care for the planet with our science and invent new medical technologies because Jesus invites us to participate in the restoring of the entire cosmos to the Father through the Son. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's so hard to hold these things in tension. But I, I pray that tonight we could be somehow strangely comforted by the, the Bible's teaching that this age is fundamentally in opposition to the kingdom of God. And so we suffer. And so we ache and long for something more. And I pray that you would comfort us tonight, Lord, with the hope of the coming kingdom of God in the age to come, that you would you would give us a view of history that is your view of history that you will one day restore and redeem all things. Colossians 1, 19 to 20. That's where it's heading. It's not heading to a nihilistic explosion. It's not heading to emptiness and nothingness and meaninglessness Life is heading towards restoration, renewal through Christ to the Father. And somehow we get to join you in that work. Meet us now, we ask, at the table where we remember just what you did to make all of this possible to make the benefits of the kingdom available to anyone who puts their allegiance in you. We ask this in your name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord.